happened to the NFL? Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the DWZ Dynasty Warzone Rookie Rundown. Uh, this is the first immediate drop episode that I am putting out for you all, and it's going to be a quick hitter going over all of my basically immediate reaction post NFL draft rankings. Um, the NFL draft has concluded. Well, we are about ooh, about 18 hours out from when it ended last night now at this time of recording. And I've had a little bit of time to digest, a little bit of time to dive um, specifically into my ranks um, and just kind of look at my risers, look at my followers and assess uh, kind of the you know, the landing spots that don't really affect my rankings at all. Um, there is quite a bit of movement specifically at the tight end and at the running back position. Um, but other than that, my QBs and wide receivers really didn't move all that much outside of three players. Um, and there are three players that if you've been listening to the podcasts for the last couple of months, you know, I basically just wanted to see the draft capital associated with them in order to move them up. Um, and once I saw it, I decided I would go ahead and move them on up. Um, so without further ado, we will just kind of dive right into the quarterback position. So um, my pre-draft rankings for the top six quarterbacks for me were Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, and Caleb Ellaby at six. Um, after what played out with the quarterback position where the NFL basically told us what we all had assumed that the QBs weren't very good. Um, that was confirmed in the draft. And the only one that saw day one capital was Kenny Pickett. Um, with that being said, with him being the only one to get day one capital and him going to the most advantageous and the most like luxurious spot that he could have gone in the Pittsburgh Steelers, he immediately skyrockets to number one for me. Um, it's just how it works with quarterbacks. Draft capital matters more than anything. He's going to get a minimum of three years at a starter position, um, even if he has to wait a little bit this year behind Mitchell Trubisky, if for some reason he's not winning it outright. I just don't see a scenario where Kenny Pickett isn't the starter by the end of the, the, his rookie season at Pittsburgh. Um not to mention all of the weapons that landed in Pittsburgh with this draft. They ended up taking both George Pickens and um, Calvin Austin uh, to add to an already dynamic wide receiver and running back core of Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, and Deontay Johnson. So it's very fascinating to see how that's all going to pan out target-wise to all those guys. But the guy that's slinging it to him is going to have a bevy of options to actually feed and easily pick apart defenses. So thus, Kenny Pickett skyrockets to number one just due to absolute landing spot. And because I had him bunched in with all of the quarterbacks outside of Desmond Ritter. Um, everything following behind Kenny Pickett pretty much stayed pat for me. Desmond Ritter is still number two. Matt Corral is number three. Malik Willis is number four. And Sam Howell is number five. My number six is now Bailey Zappi with a surprise pick of quarterback going to the New England Patriots in the fourth. Um, you can say what you want to about it being a backup spot, but that uh, perked up my ears quite a bit as a uh, guy that, you know, thinks that, He's, he's just not really a game changer. I comped him to Andy Dalton. Um, I'm talking about Mac Jones now. I comped him to Andy Dalton last year during the draft class, and that's basically what we got last year. Um, if they're just going to keep taking shots at it at middle rounds, and if Mac starts to struggle or can't do what they want him to do in an offense that is not run by Josh McDaniels, then look out for Bailey Zappi. So that's why he's at six right now. An interesting landing spot for my former number six is as an undrafted free agent, Caleb Ellaby did sign with the Seattle Seahawks. So that is a QB starting position that we assumed was going to get some competition in the draft. It didn't get it in the draft, but it got it immediately following. And, you know, it's just one of those situations where you just watch out for it. Um, he's still sitting there at seven for me, but my top six are the only ones that are important if I'm drafting basically right now, which is the point of this episode, is to go over my quick ranks and quick reaction ranks of how I'm going to be drafting over the next week as I have two that start in the next 48 hours for rookie drafts. There's only six quarterbacks that I want. And in order, it is Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, and Bailey Zappi. 
On to the running back position, um, we had pretty much a lot of one to four spots in the rankings shifting that happened in pretty much every running back from RB5 down to RB15. I have a total of 15 out of the 22 running backs that were selected that I actually care about and that I am actually going to rank at this point just due to any of the other ones landing spots just buried them basically behind two to three running backs where they really don't have a shot and due to the fact that they were drafted in like the fifth sixth and seventh round just really not that important to me um going down the list though i have the same top two that i had beforehand in Brees hall and kenneth walker um kenneth walker's landing spot is ideal for him because seattle doesn't really ask the running backs to catch the ball out of backfield and his physical running style is exactly what they were looking for um he comes in as pretty much a clone of the guy. A lot of people um, like to comp him to Rashad Penny, but he comes in and basically can fight Rashad Penny for that starting job at the beginning of the season. They refused and basically told us all offseason that they weren't going to pay up for Rashad Penny, and we see why, because they had their eyes on Walker. Um, Brees Hall lands in the Jets' backfield where he caps his receiving upside by falling in the same backfield as a guy like Michael Carter, but he's still in a landing spot and based off of the fact that he was the first running back off the board with the first Jets pick in the second round. It's one of those things where you see the landing spot, you see the talent, you saw the draft capital, and now we just are waiting for him to fully take over the role at some point over the next two years. Number three and my first riser on the list for me is Mr. Brian Robinson. He went up one spot from number four in my pre-draft rankings and is sitting at the three spot, he landed in Washington. We all assumed that they were going to bring in someone maybe with a all-encompassing skill set, and guess what happened? They brought in a guy with an all-encompassing skill set at the beginning of the third round as an immediate complement to a guy like J.D. McKissick, who is an extreme receiving back, and an immediate competition to Antonio Gibson, who seems to be falling out of favor pretty rapidly in Washington. Uh, they bring in a guy who's an all-around better runner than you're seeing in uh, Antonio Gibson and Gibby here in Washington. And with them not bringing in a receiving back specialist like a James Cook or someone that specialized in that field specifically, that tells me that J- uh, J.D. McKissick is basically going to keep that receiving role and Brian Robinson realistically may be the starting running back this season. Um, at the very least, he's an insurance policy and a very, very good one, which is about all you can say with a lot of the guys in this class. Uh, number four on the running back list for me is Tyler Algier. He went up four spots from number eight in my pre-draft rankings to number four. His landing spot in Atlanta is exactly what we wanted to see. Um, he's not as dynamic as some of the other guys that are farther down this list, but Atlanta was one of the most illustrious landing spots that you could land in at a running back. They have absolutely no one on the roster other than 32-year-old Cordell Patterson and bringing in a true bruiser, a guy that can just run the ball effectively. Kind of in the similar vein to Brian Robinson with that third round draft capital. Sorry, early fourth round draft capital is what you want to see with a guy like Tyler Algier. Number five on my list and a riser of 10 spots, the most out of any position, is Damian Pierce. Um, I told you guys all I wanted to see the draft capital and that needed to be in a good landing spot in order for me to buy in. And he immediately went to Houston as the direct competitor for the full three down roll against the basically fossil of David Johnson and the coming off of the injury Marlon Mack. I don't think he's going to win it outright immediately, but when it comes to the projection for touches that he's realistically going to see in his rookie year, specifically if there's any type of injury or just ineffectiveness going on with Marlon Mack, it's something that is going to be amazing to see. I'm excited to see it. And he's the guy, like I said, I needed to see draft capital. I couldn't do anything with projection wise. Homie went to a great landing spot in the fourth round. A lot of these guys were in that middle tier. Pretty much there was just Hall and Walker taken in the second, as well as a guy that's coming up at the next position taken in the second, and then everyone else was a 3-4-5 that's basically on this list. So um, Pierce has that full three-down skill set, a violent runner. If he can take over that Houston backfield, I think he could have very, very good fantasy success. Um, Number six on the list for me is James Cook. Um, He's up six spots in my post-draft ranking just due to the draft capital alone. Um, You can't ignore it. It's one of those things where he went to a gangbuster team in the Buffalo Bills. Um, They're going to most likely use him as a receiving threat more than anything. Um, They still haven't fully replaced Cole Beasley, even though they brought in Jameson Crowder. Um, This move kind of caps the receiving upside of a lot of people in the Buffalo offense for me. Um, So it's one of those things where they also brought in Khalil Shakir in a move that I will talk about later because I'm still livid about it. 
Um, but James Cook comes in, massive receiving upside on a team that likes to toss the ball around all the way. But they did not bring in a true running or rusher running back uh, to be a direct compliment um, or a direct comparison and competitor to a guy like Devin Singletary. So you're going to see a split backfield, most likely um, a 50% role of that. So if he can be as effective or potentially more than a guy like Devin Singletary with his touches, then you're looking at a solid back end RB2 or a high end RB3 that you're going to be able to get realistically in the second round now. <clears throat> RB number seven for me is Rashad White, who is also up six spots. Um, just like James Cook was, uh, he comes in, gets the landing spot in the draft capital of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the, they believe it is the second pick in the fourth round. Um, so immediately comes in as the compliment to Leonard Fournette. He can't be any higher for me just because he is never going to usurp Leonard Fournette. This is more of an insurance policy for when he goes down or if they decide to cut him after his first year on his three-year contract. Um, just due to the fact he's averaging $8 million a year. And if they can get the same or similar production from a guy like Rashad White, which I don't think they really can, um, you could technically see a huge bounce on this one. Um, the only issue with that aspect is the fact that when you're looking at him, he's not going to get the touches right away. They paid for net, so they're going to stick with him. Number eight for me is Pierre Strong. He actually only fell one spot in my rankings after his landing spot due to his draft capital. He got better draft capital than every single other person that is left on this list. He was the um, third back taken in the third round. Uh, sorry, he was taken at the beginning of the fourth round, um, and he got better draft capital, like I said, than the remaining one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight running backs that are on this list. Went to the New England Patriots. Um, they ended up drafting two running backs in this year's draft in Kevin Harris and in Pierre Strong, but Pierre Strong getting that early nod, better draft capital than a guy like Madre Stevenson, who they seem to just be falling out of favor with even at the at tail end of last year. And as a guy with true dynamism on their team, which is like the only guy on their team that has this insane explosiveness with the likes of James White getting extremely old and just the big bruising style of the two backs ahead of him. He's a guy that could be used immediately from day one. Um, as that change of pace back and realistically you could see <laughs> very good dividends from him. Um, I'm just concerned still as is the case with all the Patriots that no one's really talking about, even if they had landed a true number one wide receiver in the draft, um, which they did not with their second round pick. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I'm concerned about the offense in, gen in general without Josh McDaniels. Now um, I don't know how it's going to be operating because it's been over a decade since we've seen it without him at the helm. Uh, going on to RB9 for me is Zamir White. He is up three spots from his previous ranking of RB12, and this was a massive, massive, massive nail in the coffin to Josh Jacobs. Um, they brought in two running backs in undrafted free agency as well to go along with signing Zamir White in the very early fourth round, but him coming in as a direct compliment sorry, not compliment, a direct competitor to Josh Jacobs snaps as a true bruising running back is just a huge red flag. They didn't take a hit up his fifth year option to start off this week. And then in the draft, they come into the middle rounds and take one of the better prospects at the running back position from a true rusher in a similar vein to Josh Jacobs. Um, realistically, that's the nail in the coffin for him re-signing. Uh, going to RB10 is who I had at RB10 prior to the NFL draft, and that is Mr. Hassan Haskins. Um, him landing in Tennessee as the direct backup to Derrick Henry is perfect. He's an all-encompassing running back who's extremely physical and extremely violent and has pretty good speed and very, very good hands. Um, there's literally like no other running backs on the roster other than Derrick Henry and him right now. So him coming in to be that true compliment, change of pace, and to kind of ease the load now that Derrick Henry is nearing 30, I think is extremely smart. And he's probably going to be the best value at running back you're going to be getting in that third round of the draft. Going on to number 11 is Mr. Tylee Bay. He is very interesting. He's a guy that I wanted to put higher, but I didn't want to be reactionary just due to that. Um, there's still some concerns about J.K. Dobbins' knee. Um, it was one of the worst knee injuries that we've seen over the last couple of years with running back injuries. And so bringing in Tyler Beatty, who a lot of people liked, uh, likened to Ray Rice in his running style, um, brings explosiveness, the true one-cut explosion out on the outside, basically. Um, this is kind of the mold that Baltimore likes in the running backs. They like right around that 200-pound to 210-pound range. Um, Tyler Beatty's right at 200, basically. Um, he's kind of like a little bowling ball with a ton of explosiveness. So him going there is kind of a little red flag that popped up in my head for the J.K. Dobbins owners out there. I actually don't own any J.K. Dobbins, so I can't say anything about 
him on my teams, um, but I would just watch out for camp reports and offseason reports regarding Tyler Beatty and his performances. If the team starts to hype him up, I'd be a little bit concerned about Dobbins' long-term future. Number 12 for me is Mr. Keontae Ingram. Um, He is down three spots from his previous ranking at number eight um, in my pre-draft rankings, but the thing with him is that he... If an injury hits any of the teams that these running backs are on, he is the one with the largest upside um, due to landing in Arizona with no true competitor on the team other than James Conner. James Conner just saw that contract increase and re-signing. So if they want to keep leaning on James Conner, which I believe they do, or if they even want to split time like they did with Chase Edmonds last year. I think Keontae Ingram has that receiving back, that wiggle that James Conner does not. He's uh, kind of like a stone stiff guy running out there. So Keontae Ingram still has a great landing spot. I just didn't, again, couldn't be super reactive. And the fact that he was taken in the sixth was the big like, uh uh-oh moment for me because I couldn't raise him up my ranks, couldn't really keep him pat with some of the other risers that happened. So he actually fell a couple of spots and outside of my top 10 overall. Number 13 for me is Isaiah Spiller. He went to the Los Angeles Chargers, which a lot of people think is a great landing spot. But with Josh Jacobs, uh, not Josh Jacobs, sorry, uh, with Justin Jackson still there at the running back position, um, they're basically just kind of clones of each other. Um, honestly, they're, they have very similar draft profiles, and Isaiah Spiller not getting that true day two capital was concerning to me. He was early day three, and... It's, it's just one of those things where the explosiveness not is the explosiveness is not there like what we're getting with a lot of the running backs that I have ranked higher than him. In fact, all of them ranked higher than him. So it's just very concerning for him. He's down eight spots from his pre-draft ranking. He's the biggest faller that I have on any of these lists, short of the guys that actually didn't get drafted. Um, but for me, I'm not high on the Isaiah Spiller landing spot, and I'm not really high on his upside, specifically year one or if I'm drafting. I just still need more time to digest, so I'm not going to have him high in my ranks. Probably won't be taking him at all because he's not going to be there when I'm willing to right now. Uh, Running back number 14 was Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams went to the Rams as a true pass catching back, which is an aspect of their game that they're still looking for from the running backs. Um, He comes in as kind of a competitor to a guy like Daryl Henderson long-term. I believe this is the last year of Daryl Henderson's contract. Um, So if Kyron can come in and make a difference as a fourth-round running back, and see some pass down or pass protection work for Matthew Stafford, you could realistically see the split and change of pace back going forward with the Rams. Um, The last running back that I'm willing to rank is a guy that fell quite a bit, and that's due to landing spots specifically, and that is Mr. Jerome Ford. Uh, Pre-NFL draft, he was my RB8 going into the draft. He is now RB15 and the last on the list for me. Him landing in Cleveland with direct competition to a guy like Nick Chubb, to a guy like Kareem Hunt, like Dearness Johnson. Uh, it's just one of those things where you're like, well, I don't understand why you re-signed all of them if you were going to race a draft pick in the middle rounds on a guy like Jerome Ford. Um, he's a bruising back. He's physical. He's a great runner. He's very explosive. You guys know I like him. It's just the landing spot's not great. Until I see movement with one of the running backs on the roster, I can't project him as anything more than the RB4 on a team that doesn't use their RB4. That is the running back position. Going on to the wide receiver position, I have a total of 19 players. So 19 out of, I believe, the 27 that were drafted that I am willing to rank and willing to draft at this point. This is rounding on my total top uh, 48 is how you guys will see this. So this is a standard four-round rookie mock draft. These are the players that I have ranked right now that I would be willing to take during the draft immediately going into them this week. Um, So the top of my board didn't change at all. Number one wide receiver for me is still Traylon Burks, who landed in Tennessee. Number two is still Chris Olave, who landed in New Orleans Saints. And number three is still Garrett Wilson, who landed um, at the New York Jets at 10. So all three were top 20 picks. All three landed in great landing spots, especially with Traylon Burks now losing competition of A.J. Brown. My prediction pre-draft, for those of you following along, was for him to land in Tennessee as a compliment to A.J. Brown, but he's just the replacement for A.J. Brown. He's going to get fed the ball so much um, that I I just don't understand how you can't have him ranked higher, that type of situation. Um, A riser at number four for me is Mr. Drake London. He ended up being the first overall wide receiver taken to Atlanta at number eight. He's up two spots from wide receiver six. Um, He got the draft capital. I still can't elevate him over the top three right now, but he did hop my number 
he did hop my number four and my number five wide receiver pre-draft. Number five for me is Mr. Jamison Williams. He fell a spot just due to the Detroit landing spot. As a true freshman, we assumed he may have seen a little bit of a red shirt, but he's going to see the full red shirt with DJ Chark there. Um, going to J- Derek Goff, who doesn't throw the ball deep very well or very often is something that was a red flag for me as well. Um, them not selecting a quarterback as well tells me that that isn't most likely going to change this year. Yes, they got an explosive weapon, but I don't like the landing spot better than the four guys that were ahead him. And with him being at number four and me being a little bit sus about the guys immediately following him prior to the NFL draft, the way I look at it now is there's not even really a question. I had to drop him at least one spot. Number six for me is actually the largest riser at the wide receiver position, and that is Mr. Jahan Dotson. Um, he was taken number 11 overall to the Washington Redskins. Uh, sorry, not Washington Redskins, the Washington Commanders. And I just had to see the draft capital. I still probably am not going to be taking him. I just can't be contrarian anymore. The guy got top 11 draft capital. He has to be up there in the ranks. He's still too small for me, and he's a redundant skill set when you're looking at guys like Christian Watson. Sorry, not Christian Watson, like uh, Curtis Samuel, like Terry McLaurin, but I think he's more of an insurance policy if they're unable to sign Terry McLaurin long term. Number seven wide receiver is a guy who rose six spots for me, and that is Mr. Christian Watson. He's a guy I had to see the draft capital before I bit into the hype, and he landed in Green Bay as their first wide receiver off the board. Um, He comes in with Romeo Dubs, who is later on on this list, um, and they're the new one-two on the team, realistically. Um, Christian Watson is an athletic freak. He's going to be massive on the outside, and he's realistically going to get peppered like crazy by a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Um, he actually comes in as a pretty good replacement for a guy like MVS, just with even better athleticism, which is wild to think because MVS was always blowing past people. So if he comes in and immediately is in that X role, blowing past people downfield, I think he's going to be a lot more, perf- uh, not perfected, but a lot more productive than a guy like MVS was when he was there. Uh, number eight for me is a guy who fell three spots from number five, and that's Mr. George Pickens. He started to slip quite a bit in the draft. Um, he continued to slip. For some reason, the Bears did not select him with either of their first two picks in the second round, and he ended up falling all the way to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, it's a great landing spot. Him getting picked in the second round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, I'm just never going to doubt one of their wide receivers again if they drafted him specifically for a role they're going to use him. And if he comes in as a true number three on an NFL roster, I just don't understand how you can't love that because he's going to see absolutely terrible coverage towards him, and he's just going to be an athletic freak on the outside. Um, A lot of people were talking about the Martavius Bryant comp post-draft now that he fit in there, and he's just a meaner and a non-off-field issue type of guy with George Pickens in that role with the same level of athleticism. Number nine for me is Mr. Sky Moore. He is up two spots from my previous rank pre-draft from number 11, landed with the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round. Um, It's a great fit for him from like a system-wise and from a quarterback-wise, but he has a redundant skill set extremely (laughs) with Juju Smith-Schuster. So you're looking at a guy who basically has to play on the outside, but if you're playing him on the outside, does that mean Nicole seeing less snaps? I I have a lot of questions about how they're going to use him, so that's why he's not any higher for me. He's going to be probably the most elevated player on a lot of people's boards, and he's going to be probably cracking potentially some top fives that you'll see ranking-wise, and I just can't get behind that. Number 10 for me is a guy who was up three spots from his previous rank of number 13. That is Mr. John Mechie. He landed as the second overall wide receiver taken in the second round, just behind Christian Watson, and he went to the Houston Texans. He immediately is day one, their slot wide receiver, comes in to complete the trio of Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, and John Mechie, and I think it could not have been a better landing spot for a like a target funnel purpose than if he had landed with the Bears. Um, seeing John Mechie land there, I love his landing spot. I love the fact that he got day two, early day two draft capital. It's a guy that I was already higher on as a true slot. Number 11 for me is a guy who also rose three spots. He was immediately behind John Mechie in my pre-draft rankings. That's Alec Pierce. He went to the Indianapolis Colts as their true compliment. Um, he's kind of a Michael Pittman clone, which is kind of funny. Um, they have the same type of skill set, the same type of athleticism, and the same type of body frame. So it'll be interesting having two towers on the outside. But with Matt Ryan there now, we know how accurate and how much he loves that big body wide receiver down the field. He's never been shy about chucking it deep. and He's very accurate deep. So Alec Pierce realistically could eat in this offense. But with him coming in as a non-alpha, I can't have him ahead of guys that are true number ones on the teams above or in very, very, very good landing spots. 
Number 12 is a guy that fell four spots for me. That's David Bell. Um, there's a lot of people hyping up this landing spot for the Baltimore, not Baltimore, for the Cleveland Browns. Um, I do like the landing spot, but not more than some of the guys that fell ahead of him. Um, he was basically on that fringe day two, early day three type of draft pick is basically where you were looking at. He ended up going in the third round, like I said, to Cleveland. Um, he just kept falling just like... George Pickens did, and it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. He does come in with Deshaun Watson at some point, but if a guy can't effectively pass the ball around, if we do see Watson being actually suspended, which is realistically what's going to happen for the first part of the season next year, um, I just can't have David Bell elevated above these guys with better landing spots, with similar draft profiles, with similar athletic profiles, or better athletic profiles. Number 13 is the... He's tied for the highest riser in my ranks, and that's Valus Jones Jr. He is the number one wide receiver pick and the only wide receiver pick for the Chicago Bears. And he's a run after the catch phenom. Um, we talked about it quite a bit in my last two episodes of my draft capital movers, the guys that would realistically move the highest amount based off of where they were drafted in the NFL for me. And that list was Zamir White, Romeo Dubs, Valus Jr., and Trey Turner. Um, what do you know? <laughs> Three of those guys ended up getting very good draft capital and very good landing spots. And so what are you looking at? You're looking at a riser in Bayless Jones Jr. Um, the athletic profile was always there. I was just concerned about the overall the, the overall draft capital he was going to get. But what happens, the Bears end up using their first pick on offense on Bayless Jones Jr. He's going to immediately step in day one as our punt returner. He's immediately the wide receiver two on the roster behind. Um Darnell Mooney, and I am I happy about it? No. Um, I, do I think it's the best pick we could have made? No. Um, am I optimistic about his usage and his athleticism? Absolutely. Um, but he will be a 25-year-old rookie. Um, like in about a month, he turns 25. So I just have a lot of question marks about him, but there's question marks about everyone that's remaining on this list. Number 14 for me is Mr. Wandell Robinson. He is up three spots from where I had prior. I told you guys I just can't buy into the small school or small body type guys, and that's going to continue the trend as we continue to go on. Um, for me, I, I get it, but he went to the Giants. They did the same song and dance last year. They like the explosive weapons and everything like that, but until I see you use them on an effective basis until I see them be effective in the offense. I can't overhype them. I'm never going to overhype them. I still have an issue with the size thing, like I said. So he's not going to be higher. He's not going to crap my top 12, and I'm not going to end up getting him anywhere um, because he literally is just <laughs> – he's Kadarius Tony this year. Um, and so, you, again, you just have a lot of guys that can do over the middle with explosive separation ability on the team, which is cool. That's how I would honestly build my teams, but having a redundant skill set and – Sterling Shepard, Canarius Tony, and Wondell Robinson. I just, you can't project a lot of volume going forward with the fact that you still have the big bodied guy that came over from Detroit, uh, blanking on his name, but he did nothing last year. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Number 15 for me is the heartbreaker, uh, Mr. Khalil Shakir. He dropped four spots from my pre draft ranking of wide receiver 11. Um, I'm sorry, uh, he dropped six spots from wide receiver nine. Uh, sorry, that was not the Scamore thing. Um, looking at what happened with Khalil Shakir, it is just a heartbreaker. We were chatting about it in the Patreon group chat, and the Bears were on the clock in the fifth round. Uh, they could have taken Khalil Shakir. Uh, I assumed they didn't think that the Buffalo Bills trade was going to be for Khalil Shakir because the Buffalo Bills traded up 20 spots in the fifth round to take Khalil Shakir, who was the only true offensive weapon at the wide receiver position that was still available on the board, and the Bears just let him slip away. Um, just heartbreaker. You guys know how I feel about him. Um, he lands in a very good spot on the Buffalo Bills, uh, but the fifth round draft capital was concerning. It was basically two rounds later than what everyone anticipated him to go. Um, so seeing him go on a mid-day three pick is concerning to me. Um, it's just, yeah, I'm down on Shakir right now. It sucks, um, but he can step in day one as the Cole Beasley replacement in the Buffalo offense if Jameson Crowder doesn't work out. Number 16 for me is a guy that's actually even where he was in my ranks prior to the NFL draft, and that's Mr. Romeo Dubs. He lands in and realistically come in as the wide receiver two or at the lowest wide receiver three in the fourth round for the Green Bay Packers. He's another big-bodied slot guy that fills a role that they immediately need. Um, him and the former Clemson running back slash utility guy that they took last year could be fighting that out quite a bit. But I like the landing spot for Dubs. 
Um, I will take him at probably the late third based off how all this stuff is breaking out in my ranks. Um, but he's pretty much Stan Pat where I had him prior to the NFL draft. Um, one of the bigger fallers in my post-draft rankings is Mr. Jalen Tolbert. He is five spots down from where I had at the wide receiver 12 in my pre-draft rankings. And this is a 100% due to landing spot. He comes in and we, we all anticipated like a bloodbath of how we were going to be dealing with a guy like Traylon Burks coming in and competing with CeeDee Lamb. But it's the exact same thing with Jalen Tolbert looking at him and Michael Gallup now. So you're looking at a wide receiver three in this offense when they ended up re-signing, <laughs> they ended up re-signing Dalton Schultz to his uh, franchise tag. They ended up keeping pretty much everything standing pat with the wide receiver room after trading away Amari Cooper. So if he can get over 100 targets, sure, he may be viable for you, um, but I don't think he's as explosive enough or as target um, sucking in as much as a guy like Amari Cooper was last year. So I just can't elevate him. He's a guy that right now, immediate reaction, I really didn't like the landing spot. So right now, with my drafts, I'm not going to be taking him realistically where he's going to end up going. The last two guys on my list are guys that were different draft capital. He had Calvin Austin at uh, 19, and at 18, he had Danny Gray, who's just a little bit above him. Um, Danny Gray went to the San Francisco 49ers in the third round. Kind of a surprise pick for some, but you guys know that I like Danny Gray quite a bit. He's very, very, very explosive and very fast and very, you know, a decently sized guy sitting at basically 196-1. He runs in that 4-3 range, but he's going to the San Francisco 49ers. He's the third wide receiver option on the team right now um, with a team that predicates itself on running the ball, which they drafted a running back ahead of him. And they're predicated on throwing to the tight end quite a bit. So where he landed, it's just not a good landing spot to project volume to. He's maybe a long-term value or a long-term play at the wide receiver position. But at the end of the day, he just kind of is going to end up playing that uh, Richie James, that Kendrick Bourne role in the Shanahan offense, which has never been lucrative. He maybe have a couple of big boom wide receiver weeks that you could use in your best ball leagues. But where he is right now, I just can't draft him any higher. And then you have Calvin Austin, for me, who went at the end of the fourth to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They doubled down on wide receiver, and he's the guy on this offense now that has the most unique skill set because he's a lot different. But what I think is going to happen is he's just going to come in day one and replace Ryan Schweitzer as the return specialist for them. I think that's what they did it for special teams and for those gadget plays occasionally out of the backfield that they may want to run with him in a similar vein to what they did with Schweitzer. But when you're looking at Calvin Austin, small, explosive, didn't get day two draft capital, so I'm out outside of drafting him at the very end of my drafts if he's available. Going into the tight end position, um, after rounding out the wide receiver position, I had 19 as a reminder. I do have eight tight ends that are draft worthy when it comes to tight end premium for me. And those are number one, Trey McBride, who is staying where he is at. Number two, I will eat crow to my friend, Mr. Brian Ford. Um, He got the draft capital. I didn't see it happening. And he got it to a team that loves to throw to big body guys in Indianapolis Colts with Matt Ryan. Um, I can't even imagine defending this red zone package specifically that we're going to have to deal with with the Indianapolis Colts. When you're looking at the team in the red zone, you are going to have six, seven, <laughs> six, seven Mo Alley Cox. You're going to have six, five Mr. Jelani Woods. You're going to have six, three Michael Pittman Jr. You're going to have six, three Alec Pierce. I just don't understand how you're going to defend it. Um, I don't think he's going to get a ton of target volume, but he does come in basically day one and fight Morale Cox as the starting tight end on this team, which is a very lucrative spot to have in Indianapolis. Number three for me is a riser that also came up eight spots, and that is uh, Mr. Christian Okwanku out of Maryland. He now is signing with the Tennessee Titans. They used a fourth-round draft pick on him um, to select him and basically be the day-one competitor at the move tight end with Austin Hooper. Um, I think it's a very smart move because they need a lot of receiving help after losing A.J. Brown, so bringing in a very athletic Run after the catch and separator in Okwanko, who's a little bit raw, but who has a lot of dynamism in this play-action schemed offense. You could see a lot of O.J. Howard-type explosive plays from a guy like Okwanko. That's why I have him elevated as far as he is. Um, Back-to-back, I have two Baltimore Ravens tight ends that were selected back-to-back in the third round. They got good draft capital, but the issue is they come in and basically are going to be cannibalizing each other. Um, Mark Andrews is already the guy. That's what the offense runs through, and that would have been even more true due to the fact that they lost Marquise Hollywood-Brown. But they bring in Kohler and likely back-to-back basically, I think it was like six or seven picks apart. 
Um, and you had my tight end four, uh, sorry, you had my tight end two and tight end five in the class pre-draft now on the same team. Uh, it's never a good look. It's similar to what Baltimore likes to do a lot. They have a tendency to double dip when it comes to positions back to back like this. Um, the tight end basically tells me that one of these guys is going to be a pivotal role in the offense. The other one's probably going to be a blocker. Um, I don't know who it's going to be yet. And that's why I have them ranked back to back, but taking a flyer on these guys is safer than taking a flyer on the guys that are remaining on this list, just based off the outlook for the receiving options. Cause right now it's Mark Andrews. It is Rashad Bateman. And then it's one of these guys. Um, and we don't really know who it's going to be yet. Uh, number six for me is Jeremy Ruckert. I also had him at tight end six prior to the draft. So not a lot of movement, like I said, at the tight end position, um, him landing at the jets was one of the worst spots that he could have landed at. Um, long-term it may be an advantageous role, but they currently just spent over $30 million between two tight ends to bring in, to be the tight end one, basically in CJ Uzoma and in, uh, why am I blanking on it? Um, I'll think of it in a second. Um, Tyler Conklin. Yes, Tyler Conklin. So right now, Jeremy Ruckert is the tight end three on the list. He was already a projection for me beforehand, so nothing about the landing spot, even if we all thought the Jets wanted and needed another tight end option. Uh, nothing about him has raised because it's just kind of a subpar landing spot for a guy that I was already having to do projections for. Um Number seven for me is probably going to be controversial, but it's Greg Dolchich. Um, he was my pre-draft tight end three. Um, he's now my tight end seven, and it's due to landing spot. Um, him landing in Denver is great for the actual NFL team, but it's going to be horrible for your fantasy teams. Uh, everyone was hyping up Albert O beforehand, putting him in their top tens. Well, guess what? We're in the exact same situation we were at in tight end last year with two guys that are now going to be competing for an even more limited version of this offense with Russell Wilson throwing the ball. Um, it's going to be spread out all over the place. I, I I just don't understand how it's going to be feasible to get him target share on a regular basis unless Alberto goes down again with an injury. And then number eight in the last position um, player that I have inside of my top 48 currently when I'm ranking them is Daniel Bellinger. Um, he was previously not ranked inside my top 12 tight ends, but he was currently, well, he wasn't currently, but he was pre-drafted my tight end 14. Um, so we went up a total of six spots on this one. This is completely landing spot dependent, and this is just because he went to the New York Giants. I had talked about this over and over that whoever landed in the Giants spot, I was probably going to be taking a flyer on regardless of where they drafted him just due to the massive vacancy. Uh, they have Caden Smith and then pretty much nothing else at the tight end position. They lost Evan Ingram, and they have a lot of small, quick wide receivers, but not a lot of big body targets. So having a true tight end who can be a red zone target and a chain mover is pretty vital in this offense. Um, we saw what they were able to do with Dawson Knox. Um, Bellinger is athletic, but he's just a little bit raw. So him coming in to fill in, realistically, that same Dawson Knox role is very advantageous to me. It's appealing, and it's a guy like... Like I said, I'll be taking a flyer on later on in drafts. <clears throat> We're going to rapid fire go through my overall list of my Superflex tight end premium top 48 in order that I will be rocking currently um, with my drafts that are about to start in like T-minus like 12 hours. Um, so number one for me, um, largest riser out of all my positions when it comes to my overall rankings. If it's Superflex, I feel like you have to take Kenny Pickett 101. Um, we were all concerned about the hand size. We were all concerned that he was going to fall out of the first round. But he was the only one that was drafted in the first round. He was drafted significantly earlier than every other quarterback, and his landing spot is just too good. Even if you have to stash him for a year, he's going to be extremely good for your team just based off of the pure volume of weapons that the team has for him. Number two for me is Brees Hall. Number three is Kenneth Walker. Um, that's kind of a tier right there where if you're looking at Superflex and running backs, those ones are the priority picks. Then I have a big block of wide receivers that I think are going to take up a majority of the first round. Um, so in order from my rankings, you have Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams, <clears throat> Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, George Pickens, and Sky Moore that round out my top 12. Going into round two, first pick, off the board, the first two picks off the board need to be quarterbacks again, in my opinion. When you look at Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral, they didn't change in their rankings in comparison to each other. They just shifted down one spot because of that Kenny Pickett meteoric rise. Um, 
<clears throat> what you're seeing with these two is that if it's in a super flex again, um, this is my cutoff tier when it comes to the wide receivers and the running backs for me. These two guys fell into landing spots in Atlanta and Carolina, respectively, with Ritter and Corral. That overall, when you're looking at them, they both have a shot to start at some point during their rookie seasons. And if not in the rookie seasons, realistically have the job going into year two very easily. Um, both I had as my QB1 and QB2. The landing spots were just a little bit later than I anticipated them going, um, but they went where they probably should have went in the second round. Um, so you're looking at realistically fantasy starters going into next year and or midway through the season. As long as they don't fall on their face, they're not going to get replaced next year. I would rather take a flyer on guys like this at a premium position at the beginning of your second round, as opposed to wide receivers that I think are a little bit of a step down from the ones that I just listed. Um, immediately following these two quarterbacks, I have John Mechie, Alec Pierce, and David Bell, and that is a tier of wide receivers for me. Those are the three most, <clears throat> I think, illustrious wide receivers left on the board. Um, there's a definite step down after David Bell to a guy that is near and dear to my heart on a team. Um, but that is the cutoff at pick 17. At pick 18, we pick up at a running back tier of four players in Brian Robinson, Tyler Algier, Damian Pierce, and James Cook. Um, and then you have another tier break. Um, I think those four running backs are worth taking right there in that mid-second back-to-back-to-back. Um, I feel like they have the higher upside as opposed to some of the guys that you're going to draft immediately following them. And so I think you should lean into that quite a bit more. Um, next, you have a tier of two wide receivers and two tight ends that based off of draft capital for all four players, that's why they're in the same tier. Um, they are <laughs> in order. You have Bayless Jones Jr., you have Wandell Robinson, Trey McBride, and Jelani Woods. Um, those four guys, due to draft capital, tell me that their teams have roles for them in mind immediately and are immediately going to be fed the ball realistically. Um, I just have them ranked accordingly due to the fact that I don't think any of them are gangbuster talents or otherworldly talents. I think it's just a draft capital rise more than anything, but it's one that you can't ignore. And this is right around that same range that I was taking a guy like Kadarius Tony last year at the back end of the two. So it feels right for similar players like Wanda Robinson, like Valus Jones Jr., like the two tight ends that got very good draft capital. But with Trey McBride, he has a kind of a crappy landing spot where he's got to wait behind Ertz and Jelani Woods. There's just a lot of big targets that we don't know how it's going to break up. <clears throat> the next standalone player at the 26th overall pick and the second pick in the third round is Mr. Malik Willis. Um, quarterback stands alone in his own tier right here because he's lower on my board. Um, the NFL thought he was lower on their boards as well than the two other quarterbacks and his landing spots worse where he has to sit at least one more year behind Ryan Tannehill. So he's going to get that true red shirt. Yes, you can look at the upside all you want, but they didn't draft him super high in the NFL draft. So if it doesn't work out and Tannehill still isn't working out, they end up doing very poorly this year. You could realistically just see them do this quarterback dance again next year with a better rookie quarterback. <clears throat> Number 27, 28, 29 is a tier of wide receiver at Khalil Shakir, Romeo Dubs, and Jalen Tolbert. These are guys that the landing spots were not the greatest along with their overall draft capital. And so they're in their own tier at the back end of the three. Um, sorry, the middle of the three. Um, then you hit a tier of quite a few running backs that are all take your shot, guys. You can pick your flavor of these running backs, but I have them in my order of Rashad White, Pierre Strong, Zamir White, Hassan Haskins, Tyler Beatty, Keontae Ingram, Isaiah Spiller, and Kyron Williams, all back to back to back to back. It's seven in a row, basically, to land you at the end of your third round. That's realistically probably what you're going to see quite a bit, too, is a lot of running backs and tight ends in the third. <clears throat> and again, it's just whoever your preference is with those guys. I think you just lean into that and go ahead and go with them. But that is the order that I have them ranked based off a of landing spot. Um, going into the early third, you're looking at Sam Howell as another standalone quarterback and Christian Okwanku in <clears throat> the two Baltimore Sorry, not two Baltimore tight ends. You're looking at a tight end run here, uh, the early third, sorry, no, the early fourth. In Christian Okwanko, you're looking at Charlie Kohler, Isaiah Likely, Jeremy Ruckard, Greg Dulcich, back to back to back to back to back in my overall rankings of the top 48. Um, like I said, you can order them how you truly want to. You can lean into how I do it, but these are my orders for them. And I think this tier of tight end is the prime spot in your drafts that you should be looking at the tight end position here. 
After that, you have guys that I think you have to do quite a bit of projection for, and although some got better draft capital than others, I think it is a very niche role that they're going to have on their offenses, and overall, you're not going to be able to rely on them as fantasy assets. They're just kind of athletic, toolsy guys that you're going to throw flyers on late in your drafts, and that's Calvin Austin, Danny Gray, and Jerome Ford. Then rounding out my top 48 for the last two picks, taking a flyer just because it is quarterback um, superflex and tight end premium. You're looking at Bailey Zappi and Daniel Bellinger rounding out the top 48 players that I have and rounding out those draftable players that I think are available to you in your four round mocks. Um, if obviously if someone outside of this list for some reason gets taken like a Tyquan Thornton, if you guys are bold enough to fall into that trap with the Patriots, go for it. Um, he's not even ranked in my top 48, like I said, but um if one of those guys gets taken, that's just better news for you later on in the draft because that means one of these guys that's, you know, further up is probably going to fall to you. Um, for rounding out this episode, my immediate reaction, I just want to chat for a second about some undrafted free agents that I want to watch based off of immediate signings that I saw on some of the teams. And I do have them in order. Um, number one for me is Amika Amezi. Um, he signed with Baltimore Ravens. Um, we know where they're at currently with the wide receiver position. You could realistically see them try and bring in one of the veterans. Um, I will remind everyone that Julio Jones, Will Fuller, and Jarvis Landry are all still priority free agents that some team is going to sign. God help me. Let it be the Bears on one of them. Um, but Mika Mezzi comes in. Uh, like I said, he was in that tier that I had with uh, Eric Okwanku, uh No, Eric uh, Ezemukna. It was with Bayless Jones Jr. and Trey Turner. They were explosive, massive toolsy guys that I wanted to see draft capital. And Mecca was, along with Trey Turner, not drafted like Bayless Jr. was. But then bringing him in as a priority free agent on a team that predicates itself on using athletic, fast, explosive, and physical wide receivers like a Mecca Mezzi is something to keep an eye on. I will be looking at camp reports if they don't bring in any other guys in the offseason that were veterans. Um, so if he sticks on the team and he ends up making it on the roster, I'm going to be very interested as a, you know, unrestricted free agent addition. And maybe he's a guy that you should be stashing on your taxis after the draft if you are drafting this early. Um, I'm interested to see what's happening behind Jonathan Taylor at the running back position in Indianapolis. Um, at my number two undrafted free agents to watch, uh, CJ Verdell, Max Borgie, and Devontae Price all were signed by the Indianapolis Colts. What that tells me more than anything is that they're probably trying to replace Naheem Hines. Um, all of them are explosive pass catchers and explosive deep threat running backs when they have the ball in the hands. They're not super shifty, um, but they are true third down backs. All three of them, they're all very good pass blockers. So seeing that, um, you could just see them realistically do a complete overhaul of all running backs behind Jonathan Taylor for salary cap reasons. And one of those guys is probably going to stick as the RB two on the team. So it's worth stashing as a very cheap pick. Or like I said, after your drafts come up one of CJ Verdell, Max Borgie or Devonta price. That way you could have potentially the handcuff to Jonathan Taylor. Who's the most valuable running back in the league. Player number three, I'll be paying attention to is Mr. Abram Smith. Um, didn't get drafted, not shocked. Like we talked about linebacker convert. A lot of people didn't have him high on the boards. Um, Mel Kuyper and Sean uh, McVay. I can never remember his first name, but um, they both were shocked that he wasn't taken by the time that Tristan Ebner was to the Bears. Um, but he actually lands with the New Orleans Saints. Um, they're looking for a compliment to Alvin Kamara so he doesn't have to do everything alone, especially with some of the injury history that he's had over this last year um, with the looming suspension realistically coming for Alvin Kamara. Abram Smith is a guy that we all know I was high on, um, didn't get drafted, not overhyping this whole move of him going to them, but he realistically could be a depth piece on the team, um, maybe even as high as RB2, just due to the lack of a true RB2 on the team last year to where he could get some work realistically next year if everything falls perfectly. <clears throat> Undrafted free agent situation number four to look at is the Philadelphia Eagles quarterbacks um, situation. So they brought in AJ Brown, but they kind of doubled down on the backup plan behind Jalen Hurts. Um, they brought in Carson Strong and EJ Perry, both as unrestricted free agents. Um, yes, neither one got drafted. Yes, thank you that Carson Strong did not get drafted and the NFL didn't like him like everyone thought he did. Uh, I've been telling you guys forever that he was terrible, but they both come in. 
<clears throat> they're hedging their bets at the quarterback position. So if Hertz can't do effective offensive things other than rush the ball this year with the weapon choices that he has, I think they're going to cut the cord and allow one of these rookies potentially to go and throw the rock at least a little bit towards the end of the season if they're out of contention. Um, so just pay attention to it. One of them is realistically going to be the backup and could be the backup on a team that might win too many games to really get one of those top tier, you know, top tier quarterback options next year, even with two picks still. Um, number five for me, where is Justin Ross going to go? Um, he's the shock for everyone. I just kept pounding the table, kept screaming for the Bears to just take a risk for him. On the seventh round, I would have been trading all the way up to the first overall pick in the seventh round to take him, just due to the fact that you don't have to pay him anything. Uh, even now, he still hasn't signed as an undrafted free agent, and we're going on 24 hours almost after the NFL draft. And I understand the medicals, but like you're not going to take a shot on this guy just to see what you can get out of him. I, I want to see where he signs, who he signs with, if he does it all, or if he is just officially done playing. Um, it's just something I'm very interested in. But this has been a quick hitter. Um, my voice is very hoarse right now. <laughs> Went 50 minutes straight, basically, and talking to you guys about these ranks. I will be releasing them in the DWZ Patreon for all of you going into your drafts. And I just want to remind all of you, this is my immediate reaction ranking. So these are going to change again as I have more time to digest, more time to look at the actual NFL rosters, and when these priority free agent offensive and defensive players land. Um, for any of you in your IDP leagues, I'll probably be dropping my IDP rankings too as well. I'm going to have to do those for two of my IDP leagues, actually, because those are the two that I draft in uh, over the next two weeks outside of one of the DWZ Patreon ones. Um, so I'll be dropping to IDP rankings, immediate reaction, probably my top five um, top five to ten at each position for you guys, just so you have a little bit of something to go off of, because I know that content's hard to find. Um, hopefully this was helpful. Um, as you can see, a lot of fluctuation at the <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of fluctuation at the tight end and running back position, but not a lot at the wide receiver position. Um, it's just kind of guys shuffling a couple of spots here or there, just based on the landing spots, which it doesn't ultimately matter once you get past those top seven or eight guys, and just going with your gut at that point. So, if you have any questions about the ranks, as always, you can find me on Twitter at SaladDelore or in the DWZ Patreon. And until next week, this has been the DWZ. A rookie rundown. When we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.